Episode 31, let's go. Learning happens when all things come together and what can only be described as perfect chaos. And welcome to the Perfect Chaos Podcast. It's Rhonda and David, and together we make up the Perfect Chaos team. Perfect Chaos not only represents how we started this, but also who we are. I'm an assistant professor of education at a local university, and David is a program director and professor at a nearby community college. Our backgrounds are diverse and range from sociology, criminal justice, fire, emergency medical services, emergency management, and together education. And this all comes together into our perfect chaos. So one of the things that I have always enjoyed about teaching is the actual creation of curriculum for my classes. I realize that this varies depending on how much of your curriculum you are actually free to create. But today we're going to look at some of the things to keep in mind when you are creating or, if you're like me, recreating and tweaking every time it is taught, the curriculum you're going to use in your classroom. And we'll be right back with this discussion after these messages from our sponsor. We are Rhonda and David, and this is our Perfect Chaos. Only 31 episodes so far, and we do that every time. It's like catch you off guard. I'm sorry. <laughs> I haven't had caffeine today. Well, I wouldn't drink any at this point in time probably not but before we get started with this week's episode for those listeners that are for this for the listeners that are listening to this as they're listening as opposed to the non-listeners that are are listening or the listeners that are not listening the watchers that are listening or you just got featured on actually guested on Another podcast this week. Yeah. So um, the Ayers Institute for Learning, which is out of Lipscomb University, I went last October and did a presentation at their conference. And so then this week I was their guest on their podcast, uh, all about how to add 30 minutes back into your day. That's not technology. Add, not to add 30 minutes to your day. We can't but do to that. Put 30 minutes back put, into your day. Put, the, put 30 minutes back into your days. Uh, we'll put that uh, link in the show notes so you can go check out half of the Perfect Chaos team on the Ayers Institute's podcast. It was uh, kind of interesting. I listened to it myself today. Are you going to be more efficient now? Always. Always. Yeah. So, talking all things curriculum. Right. Well, I guess not all things. But a bunch of things. A bunch of things, curriculum. So. All right. So I think we're going to come at this from two different standpoints. I just have a feeling because I get to create my curriculum from a feeling. scratch. I, you don't need to sing on the podcast. But they like it at the Waffle House. Yes, well. All right, so we are going to come from this two different perspectives. and Correct. Uh, you know, this is, you, you and I have had this conversation quite a bit, but uh, what she's alluding to is my education standards, we, we've kind of changed the way that they've been described from years past as being the national standard curriculum to education standards now. And, you know, we we technically build the curriculum, but ultimately it tells us what we have to teach. I mean... When you look at the education standards, it goes down to like bullet points of this, 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 and this. So, all right. So, give an example of one of your standards. Putting you on the spot. Putting me on the spot. <laughs> I've shut off that side of my brain today. Well, okay. So, the reason I say that is just like when I was teaching public school, when we just start talking about standards, that have to be addressed, that can mean a whole lot of things, right? So, like, when I work with job-embedded students, we always take one of their standards, and and I call it chunk it up, but 
break it down, try to put it in student-friendly language, that kind of thing. But you're not always starting from the same spot, right? So my high school criminal justice standards, one of my high school standards, it was the standard number one at that point in criminal justice one, and it was that students would create a timeline showing the history of the American criminal justice system. And I would always say, this is not a standard. This is an assignment. It's not even a really good assignment, but it's an assignment, right? Um, On the college side, the exact same class, because those were dual enrollment classes I was teaching, the exact same class, the first standard on the college side was that students will understand the width and depth of the American criminal justice system. Um, And that's like a whole... PhD kind of deal, right? I mean, that that's multiple years. It's definitively not a basically foundations of criminal justice class. It's so funny. it's funny you bring up depth and breadth as I, as you I, just pull, pulled it up. I pulled up this document of what the first place is a stops is depth and breadth. Well, and, but I think it's it's important when we start talking about a curriculum based on standards. You know, I, I get to create my curriculum. I still have standards. I still have the things that I have to meet. Um, You know, we have to meet them for accreditation. We have to meet them for state board, those kinds of things. But those look very different. So I'm just, uh, I'm going to mention one. And so anybody that's taking a look at EMS standards can go to ems.gov. Under initiatives, you find education, you'll find uh, currently under revision as as we have uh, seen most of this is, somewhat um, uh, aged, uh, but uh, like one just says, applies knowledge of the EMS systems, safety and well-being to the advanced EMT, medical, legal, ethical issues to the provision of emergency care. And then underneath that, it's got additional, and it breaks down simple, foundational, comprehensive, and then to the depth. So it's got breadth and depth. So like EMS system, it's an S and an F, which is simple fu- uh, and fundamental. And then it, you know, so. And all that being said, you all are on a statewide curriculum. Right. Correct? That, that, so you don't really get to, they, they're they telling you, these are the books you're going to use. These are the. We, we have flexibility in the books because the books, you know, support the learning objectives, the, the learning outcomes. Uh, but so we, now we are very limited in selection of books. You know, we, we have about four main publishers, really two main publishers, a couple. Uh, and so there's for each of my levels, there is a, a book or a compilation of books, uh, that will, so we, we have that, but if we're looking at changing, uh, learning outcomes, if, you know, and then some of, like all of this has to be covered. Now all of these are covered because those textbooks are written, right? Basically, on right. These, but from so. a curriculum standpoint, I I have a set of standards. We use in-task standards, which are the professional standards for teaching. Uh, in my edu- educational technology cl- courses, we use uh, ISTE standards, the seven standards for educators, and then in Tennessee, we also have literacy standards for all ed prep providers. That's what we have to hit, but where we put those within the entire program, you know, we just have to submit it to the state. So, like, when I sit down and I'm going to plan out how I'm going to teach ed tech this semester, it's pretty much however I want to teach it. Um, You know, as long as we're hitting these ISTE standards, we're hitting the NTASC standards, we're hitting the CAPE standards, um, you know, so ours are much broader and do allow, I mean, that's why I was able to write a textbook. I wrote a book to teach the class the way I wanted to teach the class. Like, that's the whole, whereas with yours, that's not quite where you're sitting at. Right. You can it, develop your own activities, but pacing, um, the order in which you're teaching things, those are pretty well. We have, you know, yes. And when you take a look, so when we take a look, uh, you know, whether you come to our institution or one across the state, um, you know, they all look similar. They may have, you know, I may teach something in week three that somebody else teaches week four, you know. Right. But for the most part, they march out fairly close to each right. other. We're all testing at the same times. And, 
you know. Uh, right. So. So yours would be what I would consider to be a semi-scripted curriculum. It is not totally scripted. Right. Now, we know, you and I both know, we've seen it. Um, we know that there are a lot of P-12 schools uh, in specific areas that are using a totally scripted program, be it that that's what they're using for their reading intervention or their math intervention. Um, that's what they're using for their special education um, or just for a regular class that that are legitimately scripted to the point of this is what like it's in the book. Read these words. Right. right. Um, a lot like when we have to proctor tests. Right. So probably on the on the spectrum or on the continuum of academic freedom with curriculum, I'm close to the most free side. You're about in the middle. And then these scripted programs are um, going to be that not a whole lot of freedom. So as we're looking through this, when we're talking about creating curriculum, I think we have to keep that in mind. You know, even when I'm working with students um, preparing their ed TPA, you know, and, and trying to teach them how to do that and what that's going to look like and those kinds of things, there is a spot in ed TPA to write, are you having to use, are you required to use a scripted curriculum? Um, because that's going to be looked at differently than if you get to create your own curriculum. Uh, so I think as we talk about curriculum, one of the first things that we have to think about anytime you're, you're wanting to make some curricular changes, which I mean, I've said it before, I've never taught the same class twice. I am a fan of making curricular changes. Um, I love to use data. I think that's, uh, what makes us good teachers is to use feedback, to use data, to evaluate what we're doing. Um, but I do think we have to keep that in mind. That very first thing you've got to think of is what do I actually have control over? You know, it's the same thing that you're telling your students when they get frustrated or angry or whatever is, okay, let's step back for a second. What, what do we have control over? What can we control? Right. So as we go through this, all of it is going to have to be kept in mind with that initial, what can I change? What well, am I allowed to touch? And I, I think it's very interesting. And, and, you know, I think some people walk in thinking they may have a fully scripted or totally scripted curriculum because somebody's walked up and said, here you go. And they kind of, you know, never really get into the mode to ask the question and say, hey, what do I have? And I, I think that's one of the key things, because when you take a look at um, the more scripted side and, you know, we take a, a look at the pendulum and you said, as you said, we, we said kind of in the, the mean. And if you remember during the process, you know, there was a lot of things that I objected to. And, you know, in the higher ed side, we talked in the process of what our listeners uh, our, have no sorry, clue what you're our, talking our about. Curric our curriculum alignment <laughs> when, we, when we were uh, working on that. We don't uh, have some strange process here at the house. No, yeah, we're at the house. We <laughs> no, through our curriculum alignment process in the state. You know, uh, in higher ed, we talk a lot about academic freedom, and that gives a lot of flexibility, and there's a lot of protection with that. And you know, you get into certain areas, especially you know. Uh, uh, law, liberal art, you know, there's a lot that, you know, you get into pontificating on all these topics and to have something set down. But, you know, one of the thing I, I, I think that a totally scripted curriculum does is kind of take out the individual ownership. You know, we all know that no matter what we do, you know, we usually fall into the, I'm going to go teach this because I like science i like math i like reading i like right and we fall into that and if you put a, a a social studies teacher in the math classroom they may be able to get the point across but they're not going to do it with as much energy so you know it's definitely one of those things so if you do walk in and you think you have a totally scripted curriculum like here it is ask the question to make sure or if it's just you know hey uh you know your mentor that's designed to help you out has said here's your material right. and well and a lot of times it's is this this is what we teach this is to give you a starting point or is it 
read this word for word. Right. And and there's a ton of stuff in between. Yeah, so, I mean, that's that's not a thing. So um, I just felt like it was important for us to kind of put that out there that, yeah, we're we are both fully aware of what a scripted, a fully scripted adhere to this read the script curriculum looks like. Um, I will strongly encourage you that there are still things you can do to make it your own, even when it's a fully scripted curriculum. Um, so but now I guess we'll kind of talk about that as we go. But I did think that was important to think through, you know, what are kind of our different levels, where we're starting from. So let's let's talk about that then. So we have some flexibility. Mm-hmm. We we have some opportunities here. So what are the important things to keep in mind? Keep in mind. Keep in mind. Keep in mind. Keep did in you mind. have caffeine today? I did have some caffeine today. Okay, it's, well, you're ahead of me, but it doesn't sound like it. it I, I think it went out by 9.30. Oh, okay. Keep in mind when creating curriculum. There are lots of words. Sorry. Well, I guess I shouldn't have put all those C words together, right? <laughs> creating curriculum. Creating curriculum. All right, so the very first thing, um, and this is this differs from what I typically always say is the first thing to keep in mind. Uh, normally when somebody asks me that, my question or my answer is always going to be students. Keep your students in mind. In this case, when we're talking about curriculum, the first thing you think of is actually not your students. It's got to be those standards. Um, it's got to be what do I have to teach? And my reasoning behind that is that for most of us, if we're looking at at making kind of a major curriculum shift we're probably doing that uh in the summers you know when we're not staring down a a room full of students um so a it's going to be a little hard to keep in mind your students when you haven't maybe met them yet but b everything has to start with what am i trying to teach you know now i'm a backwards lesson designer um i always start with the assessment at the end and work my way back. Uh, I always start with how am I going to know, right? Those learning objectives. But in this case, we really do have to start with what is I'm supposed to be teaching? Well, and I think that's a really good point. In each individual program, depending on who or what we're dealing with, you know, we, we talk a lot about the P12 side and talk about higher ed, you know, but both of them have different uh, requirements that we have to hit. And, uh, you know, I'm going to kind of talk about it uh, from my side just a little bit more. You know, when it comes to our paramedic program, you know, there are several things that we have to keep in mind. Not only do we have the national uh, education standards, the national EMS education standards that we we've already talked about. Uh, but then we have our paramedic accreditation. We have our testing and licensure people. And, right. You know, because one of the things is, as I mentioned, our education standards uh, were aged and our uh, uh, credentialing board actually has a line in there that says the national EMS education standards and evidence based practices. Right. And they don't really go into what those uh, <laughs> evidence-based practices are, but they can take them from different entities. Right, and and, and those change. So you, got, so you have to know where to get those standards from and where any deviations to those standards may be introduced. So, Yeah, so I think that's anytime we're going to start looking at a curriculum issue or a curriculum change or a curriculum um, tweak, whatever you want to call it, we've got to start with the standards. What is it we've got to teach? Um, Then I think you go to your students. And when I say that, again, I understand that you may or may not be making curricular changes when you don't have students, right? For most of us, that is when we're going to do it because it's really hard to try to make a massive shift in the curriculum in the middle of a semester. Um. So when I say we're going to think about our students, now we're going to start thinking about, okay, what is the general makeup of my students? All right. And I'm not talking about like how many DNA strands do they have, 
But things like, you know, are my students, are they from a rural setting? Are they from an urban setting? You know, because that's going to make a big difference. Um, Back when I taught criminal justice, one of the things we did, we were working with some cow bones that our, uh, my ag boys brought, right? And so we were talking about cows because, you know, for whatever reason, they won't let you work with human bones in high school criminal justice, um, maybe worried about the acquisition process, but I just said that we could use it as a fundraiser. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm just, I'm just tossing that out there. There may be some other standards that need to be considered when talking about that. Okay. For future reference, y'all can't see me, but I am smiling and laughing. <laughs> I was not going to strangle a student and use their bones, yeah. but we did joke about it a little bit. Um, so we're <laughs> a dunking booth where they can't get out, maybe. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so we had, I had some, some FFA boys on my honor guard that brought me in a bunch of cow bones, right? Now, I was, the school itself was in a rural setting, but the makeup of, the kids in that school, it was a magnet school, so we pulled from the entire county. So, I mean, I had kids that were very rural, and I had kids that would be considered inner city kids. So, as we were working through this, one of the things, and I always tell the story uh, to my job embedded when we talk about Ed DPA, uh, one of the things that I started to realize is, I was talking about the bone ditch, right? Which I am from a rural area. I have every understanding what a bone ditch is. Um, for those of you that don't, just real quickly, it's when you have a farm and you raise animals and those animals die and you have a ditch way out away from where you keep the animals. That's where you put their carcasses. You do that to keep predators from your main herd, right? So I was talking about this concept of a bone ditch, and my inner city kids were totally lost, totally lost. Um, and once they let me know that, and really they didn't even tell me they were lost. I just was teaching and we were talking and I was like, so, because what we had found, we had discovered that as this particular farm was breeding, um, they had bred in a genetic defect. So I was Asking them, okay, so what do we need to ask the guys to go get us from the bone ditch for us to continue to figure this out? And I looked up, and I had a room full of blank stairs. And one kid in the back who looked up, and he goes, well, we need them to dig down a little deeper and get some of the older bones. And everybody else in the class looked utterly horrified. And I said, why are y'all looking like this? And that's when I realized they thought that, like, on a farm that you buried the animals, like, in graves with, like, headstones and stuff. So they thought we were grave robbing to get the bones. Um, now, that's a that's a funny, funny ha-ha, you know, whatever. But when we're talking about making changes to a curriculum, you have to keep that part in mind. Where are your students coming from? You know, if... What is their baseline knowledge? Not even just about your subject, right? What are the things that they have learned just from growing up where they grew up? You know, um, there are things that just did not make sense. I can remember the first day we talked about fingerprinting. And I showed my kids how to lift a print. And they're like, and then you run it through the system and you have one back in like five seconds. And I went, no, no, that's not how it works. And they said, but it is. CSI and I said, effect. where did you see this? And they said, Abby does it. NCIS effect. From NCIS. <laughs> yes, the CSI, NCIS. Now, those are all kind of funny, but I mean, that's really what they thought. So if you're going to try to make a change, alter the curriculum a little, you've got to have that knowledge, right? So the next time I taught fingerprinting, before we ever started fingerprinting, we talked about the CSI effect and how what they had seen on TV was not the way it really worked. Because it's really hard to do an hour-long show 
to go after the suspect when, you know, it's probably going to be a little bit before. Now, right. Now, granted, some of the systems have gotten a lot better. And, well, I mean, you know, but, and it was all sorts it, of things. Right. Talk screens, it's the same thing, you know. DNA does not take 30 <laughs> seconds to run through major mass spec. And, well, it's the same thing, though, that with your with your students, you know. They came, come in and they've watched Chicago Med or ER or... Grey's Anatomy, Chicago Fire, Chicago Fire, you know, they're like, this is what it's going to be like. No, 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 it's not. They're running emergency traffic on every call and there's somebody that's got rebar through their eye. And could you not have said that? (laughs) Seriously? I mean, for most students, they come in and they've seen, you know, teachers on TV. I can remember a kid. Not that long ago, when I asked why they wanted to be a teacher, she looked at me, she was, I'm going to be just like Mr. Holland. And A, I was super excited that somebody still watched that movie because I felt like that was an old movie and I I used to watch that movie. But B, I was like, okay, so let's have a conversation because there's some things that you can't do. Like the whole putting a football helmet on a kid and hitting them in the head with a mallet. Yeah, that that's maybe not a thing. <laughs> so as you're thinking through this curriculum... You got to think that. Where'd they come from? What's their background? Um, what is their frame of reference? Because, again, most people haven't seen Mr. Holland's Opus or Correct. Dead Poets Society or, you know, where... Oh, they, Captain, my uh, captain. Okay, right. And, and actual, like, in-length lessons being delivered versus, you know, most of these things where it's like, all right, guys, we're going to talk about two plus two. It equals four. Ding, the bell's gone. Y'all, this is the homework. Come back and see me tomorrow. Just out of curiosity, why did your voice get higher? Because that was weird. Eh, you know, that's what all those. Oh, okay. So, but, you know. It's kind of like, what was that movie that you and I went and watched? Um, <laughs> Night School. Wasn't that it? <laughs> With Kevin Hart. With Kevin we're gonna Hart have to ta- We're going to have to tag Kevin Hart in this and see if he comes and watches oh, okay. it. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> So, a, way, it's a the, great movie. By the way, he didn't. He he said that uh, the Rock did not. He actually, the Rock took his talent level down. So that could be why he's in Night School. No, Night School was a really funny movie. Night that School was, was a very funny movie. Yes. If you, all teachers should watch Night School just because it's just like to well, watch the stereotypes is just well. But but the thing is, is that you know it, it is great because. Uh, you know, one of the things that comes out there, there are so many different learning styles in that room, right? Including, you know, the character played by Kevin Hart, you know, he sees everything flying around and guess what? Some of your students are doing. Yeah. (laughs) And guess what some of your students are doing? Right. So they're seeing these things flying around. And 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 that's what I mean when I say you've got to think about your students. Like, who are you teaching? Are you teaching third graders? Right. Are you teaching seventh graders? Are you teaching honors kids? You know, I mean, you might be teaching a junior level AP class, but you've got a bunch of really, really, really strong sophomores. And so they've put sophomores into it. Well, you may have to teach that a little different than you did to juniors. You know, that's what I used to say when I was uh, teaching a class about terrorism. You know, how I taught that class varied greatly based on who was in it. Because if I had a bunch of 17, 18-year-olds in that class, things had to be broken down in a much different way than if I had people that were in their 30s and 40s. Well... And I, and I, part of that to me also goes down into these standards and, and going back to the totally scripted side that it's very difficult to have totally scripted standards when you have a classroom going back to the night school side or like, like right. you said, you know, and especially in the higher ed side, you may have an 18 year old that just came out of school or a 40 year old that is going to a second career. Right. And, you know, you have all of these different learning styles. And if you build a totally scripted curriculum that says on day one, you're going to do this, this, and this, and this, which goes back to our last episode, which was talking about one of the legislative uh, aspects. We was talking about creating a whole year. A whole less, year's worth of lesson that's, plans. That's a totally scripted curriculum, basically, at right. that point in, the, in time. And we've, we've talked about several times on here, there may be a day that you have four hours to set aside 
for a lesson and it takes six right. or eight or that well, it's or just, that four hour lessons that, take two. It's and, taking the ability to differentiate. Right. It's taking the ability to meet our students where they are. So the, anytime you're going to start working on your curriculum, changing your curriculum, whatever, you've got to look at those students. Um, and like I said, I'm not talking necessarily the individual students. I'm talking what is the general makeup that you're looking at. Um, my third thing is to look at what do you have available to you. Um, and I, I put on here available resources, but we also need to remember that resources are also people. Right. Right. It's not just what money do I have available, but what people, what supports are there available? Right. So, <clears throat> um, my educational technology class that I'm teaching right now, there's three times that I bring in guest speakers every semester. Um, one, I bring in a local principal who has worked in multiple different levels and tiers and types of, of schools, both as a teacher and an administrator. Uh, and he comes in and he talks about uh, digital equity and some of the things that he has seen. Um, I always bring in uh, the lady that is over assistive technology for a local school district because she is able to come in and and bring these assistive technology tools and devices and, and the kids can see them and touch them and they can ask questions and, you know, she's in it every day, right? Uh, you know that when I wrote the book, the assistive technology chapter was the hardest chapter. Uh, it was the one that I beat my head against the wall the most. Um, just because I wanted to make sure that the students were getting what they needed without it being overwhelming. Um, but it also, that's not my wheelhouse, you know, that that's, I think as teachers, we're all called on to understand all of it, right? But there's obviously things that are in our wheelhouses. Um, and then I actually always bring David in. He comes in and talks about uh, using AR and VR in the classroom. So, and mixed, mixed reality, if I leave that one out, he fusses at me. Because uh, <coughs> there are, there are three different. But to me, so when I looked at tweaking the curriculum initially and rewrote that class, I had to look at what are my available resources, right? And where do I need to farm out to get some help? I farm out to get some help with assistive technologies because I don't have a whole lot of assistive technologies sitting there that I can show my students. Whereas the lady that I bring in does, you know, I, I bring David in because he has the cool, fun stuff to use. I don't have that. Right. My students still need to understand it. Right. And need to see how yeah. it could be utilized. So when we're talking about resources, only one part of it is figuring out what you actually have. Only one part of it is what do you own? The other part of it is, okay, now if I go back to the, my standards, what do I not own that they need to see? And if I look at my general makeup of students, what are the things that they're maybe not going to have been exposed to throughout their life? So who do I need to bring in to show them these things, right? So it could be other teachers, it can be community members, uh, it can be done on Zoom, we can Skype people in, you know, back when I taught criminal justice, when I talked about uh, arson investigation, I Skyped David in, he was in Texas for eight months, you know, because he was a firefighter, that's a much better person to talk about arson than me, Um I have not lit anything on fire that was not supposed to be lit on fire. So the whole concept of arson, yeah, you know, I don't, it's not my thing. Again, I understand it, but it's not my wheelhouse. So who can I bring in that it is their wheelhouse? So as you're thinking about <laughs> making those changes to your curriculum, where are you going to bring those in, right? Where are you going to find the resources? What do you have? What do you need to supplement with? And then my fourth one, is about longevity. Um, and this one is on here because I admittedly am the world's worst. I create things for a class. I'll create videos. I create audio, 
to go with assignments. I'm trying to make sure everything is out there. The students can can read it. They can hear it. They can see it. All of the things. Right. Um, and inevitably, every time I do it, I start mentioning dates or days, which means the next semester <laughs> I have to redo it. <laughs> so as you're creating things, you need to think through, OK, is this piece that I'm wanting to create that's going to add to my curriculum or change my curriculum or enhance my curriculum? Does this need to be something that I can utilize over and over and over and over again? Or is this a specific for this time kind of deal? So and, what's the longevity going to be on it? And so when you take a look at that, you know, it's you want to with everything you create, you want to create with as much flexibility in mind as possible. Yeah, I'm just really bad you know, about saying this is due on Thursday. <laughs> and, and so maybe you have an addendum last page. It's another document that you change. You know, but you, you create everything with as much flexibility, but as much detail as you can in case, you know, instead of you, you know, you're out due to, you know, hey, you get a research gig and, you know, you, you're out of the classroom for a little bit and and Bob can take over, uh, you know, um, without having to create much new uh, in that situation. So right. uh, definitely leave that flexibility, but create with detail. You know, it's it's right. kind of that circle of process. So I, I like kind of our last part because it's very, it's very interesting. And, and our programs are set up to where we kind of have a little bit of this already built in with our advisory board. Uh, we have to have graduates as well as current students. So the question is, you know, how can you involve your students in your curriculum? And this is very interesting when we talk that P-12 standpoint. You know, how do you engage those lower grades? Like, right. You know, because you may not be able to do that at the end of the year. Right. Because well, they may not remember day one. And I think for me, the we cannot look at our students especially if you're doing the creation of curriculum over a summer when you don't have students, right? You can't look at them and be like, okay, these are the things we have to learn. How do you want to learn them, right? Or how do you think you should learn them? But what we can do is continuously ask for feedback. And by the way, then don't get all in an uproar if you don't like the feedback. There are things that you are going to think are going to work crazy great in your class and you're going to teach it. You're going to be like, man, they got it and they had fun. And you know what? You might ask your kids and they might look at you and be like, well, yeah, we got it. But we don't that was that not fun. <laughs> right now, does everything have to be fun? No, that is not what I'm saying by any stretch of the imagination. But <clears throat> by asking your students, you know, maybe at the end of a unit, at the end of a chapter, depending on how, you know, at the end of a topic, you know, depending on how your uh, course is structured, you know, what worked for you? What didn't work for you? <clears throat> what did you enjoy? What would you change? And keep your little notebook. And, you write know. Write it down. And for me, I do this a lot. I'll, um, I'll walk into class randomly and hand out a bunch of index cards. And I hand them out and I tell the kids, I said, don't anybody put your name on them. That's the first thing. Don't put a name on them. I'm going to ask you three questions. And I want you to answer the three questions and then you're going to give those back to me. But don't put your name on it anywhere. That way they know that nothing's going to come to their grade. And I ask the questions. What has been working for you in this unit or this semester or in this module, whichever thing it is I'm looking at? What would you change if you were teaching it? And what did you feel like was pointless? Now, I ask the pointless question, not because I'm always going to change what they think is pointless, but because I am a firm believer that my students should understand the why behind what we do. So if they don't understand the why behind what we do, I want to make sure I explain it to them. Okay, not everything we do in that class is fun. Not everything we do in that class is a great fit for every endorsement area. But what I do try to do is to explain as we're going 
how this could be used and why it's important that they understand it. Right now, you know, I'm a huge let's work cross curricular and and do the things and get our kids to understand how how all of this information, all this knowledge that we're trying to give them uh, fits in to the great big puzzle of life. Right. So for me, um, just those three questions can be a game changer. And then I'll take them up. I take them back to my office and read them. And then like the next time we come into class, I always tell them, hey, I really appreciate the feedback you guys gave me. Um, I, I looked at your answers. These are the things that y'all thought kind of worked. Um, these are the things that, that you maybe didn't want us to do again. Um, and I understand that. These are the things that you kind of felt like were pointless. And that's fine that you feel like they're pointless, but I want to make sure you understand why we did it. Right? And, and that has helped tremendously in almost every class that I've taught um, because it gave them a, I'm teaching future teachers. I need them to be thinking about that. Right. I need them to, I saw a great tweet yesterday and it said um, some of the best things happen when uh, central office remembers what it was like to be in a school when central office remembers what it was like to be a principal, when principals remember what it was like to be a classroom teacher, when when classroom teachers remember what it was like to be a student. And that's really kind of the mode that I'm trying to get them in. But I'm also trying to get them to the point that they understand, you know, now there's a ton of controversy around learning styles and whether they're valid or, and that's fine. I'm, I'm fully cognizant that it's not necessarily that you can only learn in one way, but maybe that that's your preferred way of learning. I still think that's a really important thing for kids to know. Because at the end of the day, when they have to study, they need to be doing that in the way that they prefer to learn. So asking that question is also getting them to think and do a little bit of self-reflection of, okay, why am I always liking it when she does this, but I don't like it when we do this? So a lot today about curriculum, and I think uh, it's a good time to say, hey, if you have any thoughts about curriculum, make sure uh, that you send them over via our socials. Go by our website. We'll mention all that shortly, but uh, let us know what your thoughts are about content creation and uh, curriculum development. Everybody's favorite that, you know, there are some people out there that love to do nothing but. so I love curriculum development. I, it's it's a blast. That's actually, you know, my doctorate is in administrative leadership with emphasis in curriculum and instruction design. And I love to develop curriculum. You know, the, the one thing I, I will say when it comes to that is it's one of the reasons why I like to put presentations together, because, you know, we create the learning objectives. We, we create the curriculum. Right. And I don't really have anything telling me other than I, I have a, you know, obviously if I'm going to an EMS educators conference, it's got to be around EMS education. You know, that's the standard that we have to, <laughs> it's the standard that we have to meet. You know, if we're going to uh, Ignite as an educators conference, you know, it's got to be, you know, I can't bring right, in. Right, there's a theme. Right. So, all right. So before we conclude today, let's go ahead and go into your tip of the week. All right, so my tip is a brain dump. Um, if you've never tried a brain dump with your students, this is something I like to do uh, when I know there's some big things going on in their life or when my students just seem overwhelmed. Uh, I will do one when we come back from spring break um, just to kind of get them back in that mode. It's very similar to the concept of, if you've ever heard of what I wish my teacher knew, but it's a little more about just letting them empty their brain of whatever is blocking learning. So what I typically do, um, I do give them an actual printed piece of paper. Uh, yeah, I'm a digital person, but there's something about being able to write it down. Uh, this also ensures that they know that it's anonymous. So I give them this piece of paper. Um, it has brain dump. I mean, it's decorated because I'm me. Uh, and then they get some time, anywhere from 5 to 15 minutes, just depending on the class, and just to write. And I tell them, just write whatever's in your head, whatever you need to do. Um, they don't put names on them unless they want me to ask them about it or if they want me to come to them and help them later. 
and I collect them and read them, but I only to see if there's something I can do to help overall or if there's patterns. Now, the one parameter that I give them is that while they don't have to put a name, if they say something that could be harmful to themselves or somebody else, I do have to figure out who wrote it. Um, for some of them, just being able to do this is something that has helped them take whatever has happened in their day, whatever's going on at home, whatever is going on outside of the classroom, and just write it down and put it aside, right? Um, it doesn't make whatever's in their head go away, but it does give them the ability to say, I don't need to think about it right now. Um, I've seen this done where some people will have them write it and they'll have them write whatever's bothering them and then they wad it up and throw it in the trash. Um, I do know a teacher that she actually put a, a toilet seat above her trash can and talked about flushing stuff away, which it, that's all fine. I, I do read mine, um, like I said, mainly just so that I can see, is there, do we have a, a common trend going on? Is there something that... I'm seeing over and over and over on these papers that is something I can address or I can help them with, you know, whatever. Um, it's really just worked well to kind of get them in the, the mindset. I do this with undergrads. I do this with grad students. I do this with my job embedded students that have been teaching all day uh, just to let them put aside whatever's been going on. Um, almost like, a, you know, I know you've said multiple times that your 45-minute drive home from work helps you to just put everything aside. And that's kind of what the brain dump is is operating on. All right. So a couple things before we get into that conclusion. Uh, one last time, you know, another pitch. Remind everybody, hey, the educational technology, big ideas and practical applications in the classroom that Rhonda's mentioned uh, throughout uh, here just a little bit is available for purchase and it for is. implementation in your classroom. So you can go to Kindle Hunt. We'll put that link in the show notes as well. Uh, so you uh, have that opportunity. We always uh, start or end these by saying that, uh, you know, we appreciate everybody. Okay, wait, coming. hold on. Go. Can you share your stuff yet? Yeah. Okay. So David got a big, massive award this week. I mean, I guess you actually haven't gotten it yet, but you are you got notified that you won it. So tell everybody what you got. So I was recognized as a 2022 Advocate of the Year for the National Association of EMTs. Uh, it is based on... Uh, the the political side, local local, state, and federal uh, uh, advocacy of the profession, profession to or uh, advocacy to the general public, the population. Uh, so it's you know this is selected across all fifty states. Um, so it, you know I I get an opportunity. You know it's kind of like our other podcast as well, speaking about the different you know spreading the word, getting the knowledge out, you know helping our practitioners. Uh, so got uh, got nominated uh, and uh, was uh, selected this year. So it's a great honor to. So it's a national award. It's, yes. It's not even one of our just a state one. Right. <laughs> Everyone is good. It's very humbling. So uh, in the process of that, that'll be uh, submitted uh, or I should receive that later on this month. So we always start our conclusion by saying that we'd like to say thank you. Uh, we look forward to recording these episodes and thanking everybody. Uh, but one of the things that, uh, you know, we, we've kind of glossed a, a, across this, uh, but I, I just wanted to bring this out. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Anchor, Breaker. You can listen to us on your web browser, Google, Pocket Casts, Bullhorn, Overcast, and there's an other, which is 26%. I'm not even sure what the other are because there's so many right there. Did you say Spreaker? Uh, Spreaker is one of those uh, as well. So uh, find, you know, whichever one makes uh, the most sense for you, uh, make sure. And while you go on there, subscribe, rate, and review, but give us some feedback. Whether you send it through one of our socials that we'll mention here in a second, we love to hear back from you. We, we do this. Uh, but it's not until we hear back from you so so we know exactly where you want to go. So make sure uh, to do that. But you can find all of those, find out all about us at our website uh, at www.perfect-chaos.org. And uh, we're getting that updated with all of the new socials that we're going to mention here. I've got to reach out 
across our podcast table here on one of them because I don't even remember that one yet because it's so brand new. So make sure that you go to find us. That one right there. Uh, So uh, Instagram and Twitter, you can find us at Perfect Chaos 7. Facebook at A Perfect Chaos 7. Uh, somebody already had the perfect chaos seven. We don't don't understand why. So we had to toss an A in there. And TikTok, you can find us at at perfect underscore chaos underscore podcast. And then you can find us personally. You can find Rhonda at I am at drr Blevins. I had to look because I totally forgot what it was when I said that. <laughs> and you can find me at DSBlev. And if you're following us on the anchor.fm platform, you can hit the message button and send us a voice message. We'd love to include those in future episodes. Don't forget to go by the perfect, the perfect chaos. Don't forget to go by the perfect chaos website. Find us there too. But also don't forget to go by the pursue company and find the perfect chaos apparel line. Uh, the Pursuit Company has been great. Uh, our, our podcast line is awesome. Their clothing is great. They go on, they uh, order it, they send it directly to you. It's comfortable. Uh, it can be worn anywhere. Rhonda and uh, they, the design is absolutely awesome and looks good. Not only do you help support the Perfect Chaos podcast, but the Pursuit Company also supports at Lo- uh, Love 146, which is designed to stop human trafficking across the globe so lastly we've also uh included the listener support tab on anchor so if you feel led you can support the podcast with a small donation that will be used to expand our podcast and continue uh with the capabilities that we have and with all of that said until next week remain calm in your perfect chaos (laughs) 